The reading is taken from Matthew 17, verses 1 to 13. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him. But they have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of, God, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. <coughs> then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Let's, uh, let's pray as we come to God's word together. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we pray this afternoon that you would help us to see his glory, that you would help us to listen to him. In Jesus' name. So I want to ask you a question. Are you a good listener, do you think? Listening is very much a work in progress for our four-year-old son, Jake. We've developed a highly sophisticated system of detecting whether he's actually listening to us or not. And it goes uh, something like this. When one of us is talking to him and we suspect that it's going in one ear and out the other, we slip in the question, do you want a ginger biscuit? If this elicits no response, it is beyond doubt that he has not been listening to a word we have just said. <clears throat> and it's a general human tendency to think that what we're doing or saying at any given moment is more important than what someone else is saying to us. And the same problem arises in how we relate to God. We are full of our own opinions about God. But how much have we actually listened to what God has revealed about himself to us? By this stage that we've got to in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17, it's clear that the disciples aren't especially good listeners either. In chapters 14 to 16 that precede this passage, there have been some big themes unfolding principally around who Jesus is and why he came. He's revealed himself as the rescuing God of both Israel and the whole world. 
in doing the things that only God can do. And he's also been teaching about what he has come to do. And at the end of chapter 16, just before this, he teaches the disciples that he has come to be killed in Jerusalem and on the third day be raised again. And the response of the disciples to all of this has been decidedly mixed. They're slowly beginning to get who Jesus is, and Peter has made some kind of recognition, you are the Christ. But they certainly don't understand or accept what he's actually come to do yet. And in fact, just before this passage, we've seen Peter oppose Jesus outright when he starts teaching that he has come to die. <clears throat> so Peter hasn't been listening. He's got his preconceived ideas of what the Messiah, what God would come to do. So what follows in our passage that we've got in front of us today is for the benefit uh, of those like Peter and his disciples who haven't been listening. Uh, it's a wonderful recap for us of chapters 14 to 16 because we have a summary here in this amazing passage of the transfiguration of Jesus, of who he is and what he came to do in a gloriously intense nutshell. So we're going to just think about it under those two headings. Who is Jesus, first of all? So verse, verse 1 in your readings, uh, Jesus, you see, travels up a high mountain with Peter, James and John. And in the extraordinary events of verses 2 to 8 that then follow, there are four testimonies given about who Jesus is. And we'll just look at those in turn. And the first is his actual appearance. What does he look like in verse 2? He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Now, key to understanding the significance of this is the Old Testament background. In Exodus 34, when Moses meets with God on Mount Sinai, he returns to Aaron and the other Israelites, and his face is radiant. It's shining like the sun. So there are clear parallels here between Jesus and Moses and their radiance. But notice too the key difference between the two. Moses comes out of the presence of God and uh, he's shining because he's been in the presence of God. It's a reflected radiance and glory. But the way Jesus is described in this passage, he is the one actually generating the radiance from himself. So Moses' face shone with a kind of reflected light, like the, the light of the sun on the moon, say. But Jesus shines like the sun itself. So we're not meant to equate Moses and Jesus here. We're, we're, we're meant to equate Jesus with God himself. He generates his own awesome, supernatural and an inten and intense brightness. So that's his appearance, testifying to who he is. The second testimony comes from those who appear alongside him. You'll notice Moses and Elijah. And in the understanding of a first century Israelite, Moses represented the law given by God in the Old Testament, and Elijah was the representative of all the prophets. And the law and the prophets are a shorthand description of all God's revelation to, of himself to the people of Israel before the coming of Christ. And when Moses and Elijah appear alongside Jesus here, it's not immediately apparent. Uh, are they appearing as his equals? 
or as his inferiors. But then we hear the voice of God from the clouds saying, This is my son, listen to him. Notice that Moses and Elijah aren't mentioned. And at the end of the transfiguration, it's Jesus alone who remains standing there. Moses and Elijah have, have gone. The message is clear. Jesus as God the Son is in close connection with Moses and Elijah, but he's also clearly superior to them. He has the voice of God from the cloud. That brings us to the third testimony, to the voice itself and what is said in verse 5. Have you ever been petrified in the presence of greatness? Perhaps you've had a chance to meet the Queen or your favourite pop star and you can remember the feeling of your whole body turning to jelly in the presence of this person, absolutely petrified. Well, for others of us, greatness comes in the form of a man dressed in a red suit, black boots, and a long white beard. Yes? Our two-year-old boy, Arthur, met Father Christmas for the first time last December, when he slightly improbably turned up at the Salvation Army playgroup in Camberwell. And having looked up the chimney in our house, Literally every day since last July, looking for Father Christmas to arrive, and talked about him constantly, when he finally came face to face with Father Christmas, he was absolutely frozen with fear. And for the entire time that Father Christmas was there, he just stared at him with his mouth open until he left again. Not a word. And perhaps that comes captures just a little bit of how these disciples are um, in verse 5. They are utterly terrified and fall on their faces. And, but why? I mean, what's so frightening about a cloud, for goodness sake? Well, again, the Old Testament is vital to our understanding here, because very often in the Old Testament, a cloud represents God's presence. Most famously, it's in the wanderings of Israel in the wilderness where God dwells amongst his people in the form of a cloud. And in Exodus chapter 40, we're told that a cloud came down and filled the tabernacle tent where the tablets of the law were being kept, such that Moses, even Moses, was not able to enter or he would instantly die in the presence of God. So the disciples are terrified because they know what this plan means. It represents the presence of God. But it's God's voice from the cloud that actually testifies to who Jesus is. It's interesting, God the Father only speaks audibly from heaven two times in Matthew's Gospel. The first time is at Jesus' baptism back in chapter 3, where he says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we get exactly the same testimony again here from God the Father. It's a clear declaration from God the Father that Jesus is God the Son. And in the Gospels there's, there's more to this title the Son of God than just describing Jesus' divine identity although that's critical. It's also a title for the promised Messiah, the perfect King 
in the line of David who would bring justice and peace on the earth. That figure is also described as the Son of God. So we have the divine radiance of Jesus. We have his superiority to Moses and Elijah. We have God's voice in the cloud. They're all testifying to who Jesus is as both God the Son and the promised Messianic King. And we'll look at the implications for what this means for us in a minute. But before we do that, there's another vital Old Testament reference contained in the testimony of God the Father that speaks of why Jesus came. Our second point, more briefly, why Jesus came. So please have a look again at verse 5. And the second half of what God the Father declares about his Son, he says, with whom I am well pleased. Now this is a very precise repetition of what God says about his chosen servant in Isaiah chapter 42 verse 1. This servant is described by the prophet Isaiah as coming in the future to die and to bear God's judgment on sin in the place of sinners. When God the Father announces Jesus to Peter, James and John, he not only announces him as the divine messianic son, but he also announces him as this suffering servant foretold by Isaiah. It's very deliberate picking up of those words, who will die for the sins of many. And there's no doubt also that Jesus himself sees his death at the very heart of his mission, because he talks about it immediately before this episode and immediately after this extraordinary scene of, uh, of revelation. So he's talked at the end of chapter 16 about his death to his disciples. And then in verse 9 here, he predicts his death when he refers to his resurrection. And in verse 12, you'll also see, he says that he will suffer a similar fate to John the Baptist, who's already been killed. So the death of Jesus is at the very heart of how God describes his son to the disciples. And it's at the very heart of how Jesus himself describes his own mission. I just find that very striking, that in this incredible episode of transfiguration, where Jesus is revealed in all his glory, we see that that glory is cross-shaped, fundamentally cross-shaped. So as we draw to a close, what should our response be to who Jesus is and why he came. And I think the application is given to us quite clearly in this passage in verse 5. God says to the disciples they should listen to what Jesus teaches about himself. And this command does apply to us too because Jesus subsequently commands these same disciples to go out into all the world at the end of Matthew's Gospel to teach everybody about him. So what the disciples needed to listen to we need to listen to today as well. But what stops us listening? We've, we've recognised that we're, we're not good listeners. What stops us listening to Jesus? Well, here are a couple of things. First, I think often we, we, we don't stop to listen to Jesus because we think we know who he is already. If we were to go out of here now into Westminster Hall or onto Parliament Square, and uh, ask people their opinion about who, who is Jesus, I guarantee the vast majority of people would say that he was a good man, a good teacher, but not God. This is very much the accepted orthodoxy of our time. And I wonder, for us here today, have, 
have we stopped to kind of question that default orthodoxy ourselves? Because in the chapters in Matthew's Gospel that lead up to this, we've seen him feeding vast numbers of people and walking on water. We've seen him healing huge numbers of people. And we've seen him actually accepting the worship of the disciples. Now, none of those actions are the actions of someone who is just a good moral teacher. They're much, much more. They're someone who's claiming to be God and accepting worship. And we've had it the same here in this passage. Jesus being revealed in a variety of supernatural ways to be God himself. So I think one question for us today is, will we follow that evidence that we've seen here? Follow that evidence where it leads. And if you'd like to have a chat with me afterwards about how to do that, please come and talk to me about how we can look more closely at the evidence of who Jesus is and why he came. But perhaps also we don't listen to Jesus because we find his teaching about why he came, his bearing of God's judgment on our sins in our place, somewhat primitive and foolish, offensive even, to our 21st century ears. But let's just stop and think about this for a moment. As we ponder the state of the world right now, in the past year, can we honestly say that we haven't got a problem? Think of Syria, think of Yemen, think of terrorist attacks such as has just happened in this last week in Christchurch, New Zealand. Think of the appalling statistic that 500,000 people die every year in armed violence in the world. It's, it's horrendous. We have got a problem. But to put it one step further, if we're honest with ourselves, that the self-centeredness and injustice that we see out there in the world runs right through our own hearts too. Although we just might be a bit more civilised about the way we go about things. We can't make ourselves right, no matter how hard we try. We find ourselves at odds with each other, and we find ourselves at odds with the God who made us. And the wonderful thing is, at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ that we've looked at today, God, he draws back the curtain for a moment on the real identity of, of, of Jesus, that we see him in his in all his glory for a moment, that he really is God the Son in human flesh. And that he is also the one who came to die for the sins of many. So I, I, I think the question this leaves us all with today is simply, are we listening? Are we listening? Well, let's, pr let's pray uh, together that we might do that. Almighty God, amidst all the noise of the times that we live in and all the distractions, we pray simply that you would give us ears to listen to Jesus Christ, the one who is God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. And we pray this in his name.